Hello, and welcome to AJC Passport, brought to you by AJC, the diplomatic arm of the Jewish community. Each week, we'll chat with experts from around the world to help you better understand the week's headlines and what they all mean for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. More than 2,400 people from around the world took part in the AJC Global Forum in Jerusalem last week. If you haven't yet listened to the episode we recorded there with journalist Mati Friedman in front of a live audience of more than 350 college students, you should be sure to check it out. This week, we're going to do something a little different. One of the staples of the AJC Global Forum each year is the Great Debate. Last week's Great Debate centered on the challenges of finding a solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and whether a viable path to two states exists. We're bringing you that debate now, introduced and moderated by Avi Mayer, AJC's incoming Managing Director of Global Communications. Be sure to stay tuned after the debate concludes for this week's Good for the Jews segment. Without further ado, here is The Great Debate. Please welcome incoming AJC Managing Director of Global Communications, Avi Mayer. Shalom, AJC. Erev Tov, good evening. Stav Shafir is the youngest female member of Knesset in Israel's history. She came to national prominence in the wake of the social protests of 2011, which brought half a million Israelis to the streets. She's a staunch opponent of government funding for the settlements and a very popular member of Israel's Labor Party. Oded Revivi, is mayor of the West Bank settlement of Efrat. Over his 10-year tenure, 10-year tenure, the population of Efrat has increased by 60% to over 10,000 today. In addition, he serves as the chief foreign envoy for the Yesha Council, serving as the international voice of the settlers in the West Bank. Now, AJC is not agnostic on the question of two states versus one state. We are staunchly in favor of a two-state solution. At the same time, we believe in free and robust debate of big ideas, important ideas, nuanced ideas. And tonight we'll hear from two individuals who have significant followings within Israeli society and who care very deeply about preserving the Jewish and democratic nature of the state of Israel, but come from very different approaches. Now, your expressions of approval are welcome. If you want to clap, clap. If you want to cheer, cheer. But please remember that these are guests in our AJC home and keep expressions of disapproval to yourselves. Now let's give those expressions of approval a workout. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Mayor Oded Revivi and member of Knesset, Stav Shafir. Okay, we're gonna start with some opening statements. Uh, of two minutes, and I'm going to be a stickler for these two minutes. So, Oded, if you could please start. Thank you. I have to admit, standing up here on the stage 
knowing that I'm addressing an organization that was established in 1906, that it's probably the oldest global Jewish advocacy organization that continues to defend Israel's place in the existing world, I stand in front of you with tremendous admiration and also excitement knowing that this is the first time that the conference is actually held in Jerusalem and I think all of you and the organizers deserve a round of applause. I'll tell you a secret. The video that you've just seen, I actually got the privilege of seeing the preview last night. And for years, we've been taught to believe that if we just try hard enough, we will see the fruition of the equation of land for peace. Now you see, the truth is that the Jewish towns, cities, villages in Judea and Samaria only started to be built in the middle of the 1970s, more so in the middle of the 1980s. The conflict was there in 1967. The conflict was there also prior to 1967. The truth of the matter is that the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, was established in 1963, four years before we anticipated those six miraculous days. If we want to go further back, the conflict was there after 1948 and was also prior to 1948. And it doesn't really matter if there is a one state or a two state or no state, the conflict was there. But what we do realize after signing the peace agreement with Egypt and after signing the peace agreement with Jordan, that that equation of land for peace is outdated. Odette, I'm sorry, you're out of time. <laughs> Stav, thank you. Thank you so much for having us here, and thank you, and welcome to Israel. Uh, it's wonderful to see this conference happening here in Jerusalem. And there is a lot to talk about. We live in the Middle East, tough neighborhood, and we plan on staying here. In this neighborhood, with so, um, so many chaotic, challenges. We have and we will have grand challenges in the future and for this we need a grand strategy. We will have security challenges much bigger and scarier than the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and we need to be prepared. However, solving the Palestinian conflict is key to unleashing the full potential of this country and to creating the conditions that we need in order to solve future challenges and be able to cope with them. And what are these conditions? We need our strong military and our strong economy, and we need our allies. We need to make sure that whatever happens under whatever government, both here and in the US, we have the full partnership in taking action when we need to take action. To achieve that, ending the conflict is one of the key aspects that we need to solve. Now in reality, that equation, one, that, that, the two options, one state or two states, there is no one state solution. There isn't such thing. I never heard a real security plan for a one state, for a binational state. 
I never heard a serious security paradigm that can explain to us how our security and our country as Jewish and democratic can exist, can have the full security for decades to come under one state when the two peoples after so many decades of fear and terror and hatred will not just bleed into each other for decades to come. To Stop, protect our country, we need a two-state solution. Thank you. Oded, you have two minutes to respond. You see, what Stav is suggesting has been proven to fail for the last 70 years. We've been pulled back from Gaza. We've dug people out of their graves in order not to leave any Jewish trace in the Gaza Strip. We get missiles, we get tunnels, now we get kites. We've pulled back from Lebanon because there were people who thought that strategically we need to be in Lebanon. And today we know we have 130,000 missiles buried under houses, hospitals, hotels aimed to be fired at Tel Aviv. It's a tough neighborhood. But we haven't tried one approach throughout the 70 years of failure of land for peace. We haven't tried an approach of a bottom-up, building trust, building bridges, not believing in fences. I'm the biggest advocate against the fence because I want to build bridges with my neighbors. And as a local leader, that's what I do every single day. Now, don't misunderstand me. Building bridges is much harder than building fences. There are people who don't want to see the normalization happening. There's a small, extreme, loud, violent minority who wants to dictate reality to the large, sane, silent majority. That's our battle. And I know that there are people suffering. There are people suffering on both sides. There are people suffering in Gaza today because of a small, extreme, loud, violent minority. And it is our job to try and engage with the large, sane, silent majority and see how we can bring a better future. Those peace agreements signed, they were always top-down. Never have they brought a better future. If we invest, if we make the people accountable for the investments, we can see a much more flourishing future. It can be in water, it can be in sewage, it can be in infrastructure, it can be in education, it can be in every single aspect of a day-to-day -day life. Okay, it's much you. harder, but it's much safer. Thank you very much. You know, it, sound, it always sounds very tempting to talk about these hippie fantasies of we'll create peace bottom-up. I've been... In, in, in so many people-to-people -people initiatives, speaking to our Palestinian neighbors. And, 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 and I know the, the, the amount of potential that we have in doing this bottom-up work, but in reality, we need a real security plan. We can't rely on just waiting for miracles to happen. And this is not a plan. Now, I may be too young to remember, but I don't remember that we ever tried the two-state solution for real. Has it ever happened? No. We've been to negotiations that were unsuccessful, but we never actually tried a two-state solution. In reality, the majority, that same majority in Israel, supports a two-state solution, even after 40 years 
of right-wing governments, after hearing so many slogans against the two-state solution. And you know who really agrees that the two-state solution is the only viable solution? It's the right-wing government that we have now. Because if they didn't agree to that, they have the power, they have a majority in parliament to do a different solution, to, to annex the settlements, for example. If the settlements really need to be annexed, go ahead and annex them. They have a majority in government to do that. But they don't do it because they know that this will destroy our, sec our security. They know that we can't have a Jewish and democratic state with three million Palestinians more who will be a part of this country. And what about Gaza? How many times did we hear that the disengagement from Gaza was a mistake, a left-wing mistake? Ariel Sharon is a known leftist. But this government had the opportunities to get back into Gaza, to rebuild Gush Katif. Have they done that? No. Because they know that this would be a terrible mistake and that we don't need to be in Gaza. Yes. We are suffering, and the people um, on the border in the kibbutzes, on, on the border of Gaza, are suffering from rockets all the time. But it's better for us to be outside of Gaza and being able to attack when we need to attack and not to be inside. Thank you. Thank you, Steph. Mayor Ravivi, my first question for you is about the political status of the Palestinians who live in the West Bank. In a one-state configuration, what would that status be? Would they have full democratic rights? Would they vote in Israel for the Knesset? What would the ramifications be? And could Israel maintain its status as a Jewish and a democratic state? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not one of those who advocates for one state or for a two-state, because I'm well aware that both suggestions have got problems and questions which are not being answered. You see, the leaders in 1993 signing the Oslo Accord, in a way like Stav said, foresaw the problematic situation of having so many Arabs with voting rights. So they thought to establish a Palestinian independent state. And the Palestinian people almost have all the elements of an independent state besides a declaration of independence and an army. But you see, the people who live under the Palestinian Authority haven't been allowed to vote for the Palestinian Authority for the last 5,422 days. Why? Because their leadership can't guarantee that their results will be according to what they want. Now, if it was so important for them to vote for their organizations, then we would have seen protests against them not being able to vote. Don't misunderstand me. I don't want to govern them, I want to govern themselves. But in the situation that we're living at the moment, that their administration is not looking after their interest, not supplying water, not supplying electricity, not collecting the sewage, not dealing with the people who are sick and not providing food, what happens in Gaza becomes in a second the problem of the State of Israel. So we're in a catch-22. We don't want to be there, but we're influenced with what's happening there. So that's why I'm saying that only if we build those bridges, if we manage to eliminate the small, extreme, loud, violent minority, I honestly believe that the majority want to live peacefully. 
And when we manage to build that trust, not by building fences and walls, but by building bridges, then we can see what the future will look like. I'm not going to illusionize any people saying that I'm for one or two, knowing that both of them have basically failed. And stuff is wrong. Until 1967, there were two states. They were slightly different. There were Jordan and Israel. And what happened? There was no peace. And before 1948, there was no Israel. And there was no peace. Are you kidding? This is really the example that you're trying to, 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 to give now? Seriously? I'm serious all the time, Stav. And I didn't disturb you, but so go ahead. So what's the plan? Just please tell us what's the plan. I, I understand. going to do nothing I understand. For I understand that you're slightly younger than me. And I understand that I'm living in a time that people want immediate satisfaction. We've invented microwaves, we've invented McDonald's, we've invented instant coffee because we have no patience to wait for processes to comply. We've invented an organization called Peace Now because we want peace here and now. Your idea has failed for the last 70 years. We need to sit down and think of something new, something which hasn't tried before. Because if you carry so on doing what you've what always this, tried to do, it? you shouldn't expect receiving any other result. And I didn't say that. Somebody much smarter than me said that. And I believe him. And it's proven. If we carry on the same way we've always did, we will get the same result. We pull out, we get rockets further in. And that won't solve, that won't bring the peace that you and I want for our kids. When our people in the past waited for miracles to happen and for somebody else to save them, we know what happened. The only reason that we're all here today is because our grandparents decided to make the impossible possible and the Zionist movement made Israel happen. And how did it happen? It happened before because people were courageous enough to take action, to take destiny into their own hands and operate to achieve it. We don't really have a discussion between two states or one state because exactly as you just heard, there is no one state solution. There is no real security plan for that. There is that kind of idea that if we just let the status quo continue, things will somehow work out for us. It didn't work before. When we made Israel happen, the idea was that we're going to take control over our future. And the real discussion today is between the passive approach that my friend here has just told you about and the active and initiating approach that I believe that we have to take if we want to have a future here. Well, member of I know here. that today with the strength that we have, with the economy that we have, with the talents that we have, with the strong military that we have, with the opportunities that we have in the region, with the same moderate Arab world wanting to see a progress and wanting to take part in a progress for a two-state solution, with sustainable peace agreements with Jordan and Egypt, that survived throughout very difficult times with our international allies, today we have the opportunity to move a real, to make a real progress towards a two-state solution that will protect our future here. Well, let me, and that let will me allow ask you a question. <laughs> let me ask you a question about that. That will allow us to build our country. You talk about the importance of, of an active approach. 
Now, you know, you can't, you can't clap with only one hand. Is there a partner on the other side? Is there a Palestinian leadership that is willing and able to make the sacrifices necessary to bring about a genuine peace and a two-state solution? You know, if there was a perfect partner on the other side, so maybe your dad's plan would have been great because everything could just work perfectly well. It doesn't matter who the partner is. That's reality. You don't make peace and you don't sign agreements with your best friends. If it's a real friend, so there's no need for an agreement. We have been in this conflict for such a long time. There is so much fear between the two communities. There is so much unfairness. And we have to start action with whoever partner that we have. And no, we don't need to wait for them to wear an Israeli flag and come to us and, and, and beg for, 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 for an agreement. We need to create the ground for a real agreement to happen. We need to decide what the map is going to look like. And everybody, after so many negotiations, everybody knows what we're talking about. Everybody knows what the two-state solution is going to be about. Even the Arab League has already recognized the two-state solution with territorial exchanges, with everything that's needed as a draft to start a, to start a real plan. We know the lines. What we need today is a political courage. And what I just told you about, the fact that the Israeli government, although they stick with the status quo, they know and they don't do, they don't take real actions to make the one state fantasy um, exist in reality. They don't get back into Gaza. They don't annex the settlements. They don't cancel the Oslo agreements that they are talking against in every election campaign. And the reason they don't do it is because they also know that the two-state solution is the only real and pragmatic solution to keep Israel Jewish and democratic. They also know that the other option might lead us into one Palestinian state. Do you want your kids to live in a Palestinian state? Because I want Israel. That's why we're here. And I believe that Israel is courageous enough to take this action and make it happen. You're talking with yourself. There were two prime ministers offering 92 to 96% of the land. The answer that they got was a two-letter word. Yes, we are living in miraculous times. Israel is the only country in the world that the desert is growing smaller. The only country in the world that hasn't heard of global warming, not because of President Trump, but because we have interfered with the act of God and we today create water. The city of Ephrat is three minutes down the road from Bethlehem. I don't have a shortage of water for my residents. The mayor of Bethlehem is suffering from a shortage of water in his city. You can't create peace when there's lack of management. And I'm not choosing my enemies. And I understand that I have to negotiate with them. And that's what I'm trying to do. And when I come to my Palestinian neighbors, and I tell them, let's stop the water crisis. Let's take your sewage and instead of sinking into the underground reservoir, transfer it to my purifying center. What do they say to me? We're not allowed by the small, loud, violent extremists that the Arab sewage will go in the same pipelines as the Jewish sewage. Mayor That's the tragedy of the conflict. 
If we can reach agreement on how to manage sewage and water, then we can reach a peace agreement. Those are the peace treaties, those are the bridges that we need That's to build. again, avoiding the answer. Maybe you will it's tell us. It's not avoiding I mean, the answer. Dead. Seriously, it's, seriously It's speaking. not avoiding you the opposed. answer. It's looking into reality, understanding who is surrounding us, and understand what we have to reach agreements on in order to put our lives and safety and risk in their hands. Now, what you're offering, and this is the reality that you're offering. You're offering no fence, no barrier, us and them together on the same land in constant fighting and terror, with Israeli citizens constantly being attacked, with the international community seeing the strong Israel not taking the courageous steps. And it's not that the Palestinians are not to blame. There is a lot of blame on the Palestinian leadership as well. But what are we doing to achieve what we want to achieve? So come to You're Efrat, not giving. Come, come to on, Efrat, Efrat, and see what we're doing. I know. In order I, I've to build been to Efrat. I know. I'm sorry. Until now, Mayor, 20 minutes Mayor passed, Rebibi. and until now, I didn't hear your security plan for what's ha what will happen when the two people will be mixed all together. Mayor Just Rebibi. take the, fa the security facts. Member of Kesset Shafira. Mayor Vivi, I have another question for you that actually has to do with security, but a different kind of security. I think one of the great pillars of Israeli national security is diaspora Jewry, particularly American Jewry. And I wonder whether we can continue to maintain American Jewish support, but even more broadly, support of the American public and of publics around the world if we don't have a two-state solution. Can we maintain that support, particularly amongst progressives, the left, if we don't resolve this conflict with a two-state solution, in your opinion? American Jewry is something that I feel extremely connected, attached, and bonded to. I can't even imagine accusing the world 75 years ago, sitting still and, sitting and seeing a third of the Jewish people vanishing. And today, when we have a Jewish state and we see what's happening in the diaspora, that our government is not doing anything in order to maintain that relationship. We've just heard the Ministry of Diaspora, excuse me, I don't believe what he said is actually coming into action in strengthening the relationship with the diaspora abroad. I don't believe that the State of Israel is reaching out enough for American Jewry. And I understand there are different approaches, and there are different needs, and there are different focuses, and there are different political needs in Israel. But we shouldn't, and we can't allow ourselves taking the internal political Israeli situation and jeopardizing the future of the Jewish diaspora abroad. Now, the two-state solution, that has nothing to do with it. It's a myth equation that is outdated from 1977, and some people still think that that will solve the problem. It won't solve the problem. Within the state of Israel, we have 20% Arabs, who have voting rights, who have representatives in the Knesset, when they go and support a soccer team, they take a Palestinian flag because their nationality is more Palestinian than Israeli. So you're offering That's to give three million Palestinians in That's the West the Bank Israeli citizenship? That's the complexity of the conflict. And a solution will only come once we understand that it doesn't have to do with borders and boundaries, it has to do with two people who need to live how and learn how to speak to one another, 
live will next you to one another give, and share escape, the same resources. Don't escape resources. the question. Will you give citizenship to the three million Palestinians in the West Bank? I didn't say that. And two million I, in, stop, the, in Gaza. Stop. I didn't say that because if I would have said that, I would have said that I'm here to advocate for a one-state solution. So I'm asking you, I what are you going to do with them? No I citizenship? Stav, I said before. One person, one vote? What? Just answer this question. It's a yes or no question. That is, that is a yes or no question from somebody, excuse me, who has no patience. The United States remembers the history where they were after 70 years of independence and we're in a better place than what the United States was then. We've got a long way to go. We've got a lot to learn. We've got a lot of answers to answer. But a yes or no question won't solve okay, eventually, the conflict. In a hundred years' sorry, time, I'm you're sorry going, to you want, your idea is to give the three million Palestinians citizenship or not. A hundred years from now, to, I don't know. Just Wait, answer this question. You can Member add whatever you figure you want to the question. You I'll still you want the it. answer now. And I don't know to predict how reality will look that in a means, minute. So never that mind means in a hundred no years. That means no planning. Member, and you know, this is unsafe. No, stop, that Member doesn't mean no I have one more question means, for you. It means I, a I plan which is slightly different than what you want, no, no. yes or no. Mayor Revivi, Mayor Revivi, if you please. That's no plan, that's waiting, that's waiting for a miracle. Member now, Professor Shafir, if I can just, If you. I can just answer that, because waiting for a miracle, I mean, Israel is a miracle, but we can't afford, we can't afford not having a plan. That's our future. I don't want to have my children and my grandchildren still fighting this conflict, still, in, still unsafe, still under a status quo of terror, constantly and with one operation after another. Stav, I want them to plan, be safe. Your plan has failed for the last 70 years. No, my plan was never accomplished. It was never accomplished, and it's still the only plan that. Our government that, that you support, I'm in the opposition, but that our government believes otherwise it would have already done something different. The entire security establishment in Israel supports the two-state solution. That's reality. Because we need to, be, to have a border between us and them, and you don't have answers. You speak so eloquently, and it's great Thank to you. hear, but you don't have answers for the real questions in reality. Are you going to give them citizenship or not? And Are we that, going to have a an, an, an Palestinian majority that, here or a I'm Jewish afraid, majority? I'm afraid the time has come for closing Sorry. statements. <laughs> Mayor Ravivi, if you please. Having a plan that has failed for the last 70 years is not a plan. I am aware that I don't have answers for all the questions. I'm not staying passive. I'm active every single day to try and build those bridges. Last night with my neighbors, today at lunchtime with my neighbors, every single moment I look at the eyes of my Arab neighbors and try and see how I can help them and how they can help me. Building fences, only create monsters on the other side because you don't know what to expect. We built a solid fence with Gaza. We got surprised by tunnels, then we got surprised with rockets, then we understood why the tunnels were dug, and today we're being attacked by kites. That's how primitive the conflict, that's the tragedy of the conflict. If there was no fence, if we could help them and they could help us, I remember as a kid going into a restaurant in Gaza, 
I would be willing to put money down that the waiter is from Gaza, in Tel Aviv, sorry. Today, none of us will meet any person from Gaza. I've suggested to the Minister of Education teaching all the kids of Israel Arabic in order to eliminate having the gap, the barrier of language. That's not passive. That's being active. That's promoting a better surrounding and a better atmosphere for a better future. And yes, unfortunately, we live in a neighborhood surrounded by people. If we have something that we can be jealous of the Arabs, is the notion of patience. Yasser Arafat had one peace plan, the plan of stages. There's no timeline into that plan because if it won't happen this generation, it will happen next generation. But we are believers and we believe that we need to do action. And that's why I am active, but I understand that I have to have patience because if I make hasty decisions, like building the security barrier in the middle of Israel, withdrawing from Gaza without making sure what the security elements are, withdrawing from Lebanon, not knowing who is going to be on our border in the north, we might be confronted with an aim on Tel Aviv, which will be much more lethal than the imaginary peace that you tried to take us 70 years back. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Revivi. You know, you're right. I don't have patience. I don't have patience when I see more people die from this conflict and I feel like we're not doing enough to end it. I don't have patience to wait two, three, four, five more generations and to see my country disappears because of lack of action that we could take. Of course, not in a perfect environment, not definitely not with the perfect partner, but we can take more action to achieve our interest. And I don't have patience when I see that this doesn't work. And I don't have patience when I see all of that fear manipulation. So much fear and fear and fear. Oh, come on. This is a country really based on courage. That's why Israel my is a country based stuff. on courage. It's based on making the impossible possible. After what our grandparents already achieved in this country, these challenges that we're talking about are so small. They're difficult, yes, but they're small. They're, not, they're nothing compared with what our grandparents have already made happen. After the Holocaust, coming from so many different places around the world, my own grandparents from Iraq, Lithuania, Poland, Romania, wherever you can think of, and make this miracle happen. And now we're just standing still, clinging to the status quo, the status quo of terror and fear. Instead of doing what we need to do to accomplish our security and national interests, and you know, I'm not patient when I see the damage that's happening to our democracy. When in order to maintain this fear manipulation, we see how our Supreme Court is getting hurt and weakened by right-wing ideas and, and, and very vocal threats. We see our media weakening and we see Israeli citizens separated into more and more groups with so much internal conflict and fear towards each other because our government is busy trying to find internal enemies to make people silent when they have criticism. 
And this is not the Israel that I know, and it's not the Israel that most Israelis want. Because what most Israelis want is a liberal, free Israel where all of us are free and all of us are equal. Where Israel is the capital of Judaism and having full freedom for all the Jewish streams Thank you. to live the way Thank they want to live Tessa and all freedom please, for all of our citizens to live the life that they want to have. And I want and us to achieve that. Please join me in thanking our debaters. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the great debate from last week's AJC Global Forum in Jerusalem. Now it's time for our closing segment, Good for the Jews, where each week I share one final thought about a recent development in the world and try to answer that age-old question. Is it good for the Jews? Beauty pageants. Good for the Jews? Most people probably think of beauty pageants as frivolous. There are certainly some who love them and others who find them offensive on the grounds that they objectify women, but love them or hate them, it's safe to say that beauty pageants aren't the kind of events with major geopolitical implications. Except when they are. At the 2017 Miss Universe competition, Miss Iraq, Sarah Idan posted a selfie on Instagram with Miss Israel Adar Gandelsman. Her caption was, peace and love from Miss Iraq and Miss Israel. Instead of peace and love, Miss Iraq received death threats from Iraqis and those in the wider Arab and Muslim world who were scandalized that she would fraternize with an Israeli. She had to flee her home. This week, Miss Iraq traveled to Israel for the first time and was united with Miss Israel on stage at the AJC Global Forum. The moment was beautiful and inspiring. It was also sad because of how remarkable it was. Let us all work toward a world where there is nothing at all remarkable about a friendship between Israeli and Arab beauty queens, or about friendly competition between Israeli and Arab athletes, or productive exchanges between Israeli and Arab academics. That kind of world would certainly be good for the Jews. You can subscribe to AJC Passport on iTunes or on Stitcher. Follow us on SoundCloud or learn more at AJC.org passport. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at passport at AJC.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. This episode is brought to you by AJC, the American Jewish Committee. Our producer is Alex Zeldin. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. Tune in next week for another episode of AJC Passport.